0: Cool fact! A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Do you like the show and want to help support us? Want us to stay ad free? Do you want extra episodes every month? then head over to Patreon.com slash NerdCaveRetro and become a Patreon supporter of this show. Programs and welcome to another episode of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Derek Diamond, and you're probably wondering why is Derek doing the intro instead of Jason? And that's because I'm flying solo this week. Uh, I won't go too much into detail, but over the last couple of weeks, both Jason and myself have been uh, going through a lot of personal issues. Uh, Jason much more so than myself, so um, he has decided to take a bit of a leave of absence while well, he gets his personal life in order. Um, I don't know how long he's going to be out. I've told him to take all the time he needs. So for this week, I'm going to be doing the show by myself. And next week, I'm going to have my former Nerd Cave and Fantasy Football for Nerds podcast co-host, Robbie Rawls, uh, to talk some Pokemon. Uh, so we will still be doing the show every week. Uh, like I said, I don't know when Jason is going to be back. But I'll say, Jason, I'm sure you're listening. But you know, I hope things work out the way you want them to got my fingers crossed for you. Um, all the listeners and you know all your friends love you. We're all here for you. So we hope um, things work out for the best. Um, so getting into that, um, I, I will say real quick before we get into the news, um, I did want to give a bit of an update on something that I talked about on last week's show, and that is episode 200 of my show, The Derek Diamond Experience. Well, it was all scheduled to be released uh, this past Thursday as it normally is, But with work and everything, I've been so busy, I haven't had much time to edit. So Wednesday night comes along, get home from work, I dump all the footage, the audio track, onto my computer, and I'm going to start putting it together. I have full intentions of staying up as late as possible to get this thing done, because I want to put it out when I said I was going to put it out. Well, I noticed a little something interesting with the audio track, and for those of you who have worked in audio... Uh, I brought it into Adobe Audition because I knew I was going to have to do a little bit of tweaking with the levels and everything, but there weren't really any levels to tweak. I noticed three areas of this track, which was about an hour and a half long, and there were only three sections that had levels, and that was the music that was played throughout the venue before and after the roast, as well as a pre-recorded video that we had from one of the panelists who couldn't be there. So, needless to say, I had a bit of a meltdown, Uh, haven't really worked on it that much since, just because, I'll be honest, I got so frustrated with it that I couldn't do anything. Like, I literally had a meltdown because, you know, this was the 200th episode of something that I've worked really hard to maintain over these last few years, and, you know, I am still planning on releasing it, hopefully sometime this week, Um, It might be Monday, might be Tuesday, or I might just wait until this upcoming Thursday when I would have put out an episode anyway. I have no idea. It just depends on how long it takes because I can still use the audio from the camera, but the problem is the camera was kind of far from where we were standing. So the audio is not going to sound that great. Uh, There was a lot of echo in the venue. So it's a lot to work on. So I do appreciate everyone's patience with that. Um, I am going to clean it up as best I can, still going to release the audio version and the video version um, sometime this week, uh, hopefully in the next couple of days. So that's really about it as far as, uh, as me goes, you know, we've got five games left of baseball season, so I'll have a lot more time uh, to dedicate to the show, I have a lot more free time to work on my short film, you know, it, it's it's time, the season has had its fun moments, but It's time for it to end, and on that note, let's get into the news. Our first story comes to us from Nintendolife.com. Use original cartridges on your SNES Mini with this classic two-magic attachment. One less favorable aspect of Nintendo's Mini line of retro systems is the fixed library of games, as fantastic as the collection is on the SNES Classic Mini, some fans are admittedly disappointed by the closed state of the console, with no ability to update the device or download more games. The Classic 2 Magic is a simple SNES Classic Mini attachment that enables users to play and add more games to Nintendo's small-sized hardware. Due out this September for 60 bucks, this device will allow you to dig out your old SNES cartridges, install, and then play them directly on your SNES Mini with no region lock, and get this, there's also a USB port that you can plug in a thumb drive uh, to to install um, ROMs and everything on this uh, Classic 2 Magic. This actually sounds really cool. Uh, this would be something that I would probably do rather than try to hack the actual system, just because you know, as I've mentioned in past episodes of the show, um, not really too big. Never had my Xbox modded don't want to mod the NES or the SNES. The only exception I would make is now that they're, you know, a little easier to find, I would potentially buy one and get it modded, get it hacked uh, for that, but also still have the original one that's completely untouched. But, you know, for 60 bucks, if this thing's legit and there is a video uh, that you can watch on this article, it looks legit. And I actually wouldn't mind picking up one of these, our last story also comes to us from Nintendolife.com. This is one that really intrigued me. A Rare co-founder has no idea why Nintendo didn't buy the studio outright. And this is something that I've been seeing for years, but I'll get to that in a second. Rare co-founder Tim Stamper recently won the Accolade of Development Legend at this year's Develop Awards, along with his brother Chris, and has now given his first interview since 2007. One of the most interesting parts of the interview is Stamper's view on Rare's sale to Microsoft, and the question that seems to eternally be on everyone's lips, why didn't Nintendo snap up the studio beforehand? Nintendo owned almost half of the UK company, but for reasons unknown, never tried to buy them outright, despite the fact that the Stamper's were clearly on the lookout for buyers. Uh, He says as to why Nintendo didn't step in and open up its checkbook, I have no idea why they didn't do that. I thought we were a good fit and it kind of goes on to talk about uh, the sale to Microsoft uh, and some of the games that you know Rare made back in its heyday because i've said ever since this show has been in existence some of the best nintendo games of all time were made by rare you've got the donkey kong country series banjo kazooie golden eye perfect dark diddy kong racing jet force gemini you know so many great games for the nintendo 64 and the super nintendo and then Rare just leaves and goes to Microsoft and, to me, hasn't really done anything of note since then. You know, they did the the Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts game, which, you know, wasn't completely terrible, but it was so different than what made Banjo-Kazooie great that I felt like they just slapped that property on that game just to sell more titles. If it had just been a typical you know, platformer slash vehicle building game, whatever you want to call it, Um, you know, it probably wouldn't have sold as well. But had they made a true Banjo-Kazooie 3, that would have been great because really thinking about it as the years have gone by, I think that Banjo-Kazooie stands the test of time as arguably the greatest 3D platformer ever made. I would put it up there with Mario 64 because it has the great balance of having a variety of worlds you can go to. You learn new things as you go on. Uh, the puzzles are great. The music is catchy. The story is good. You know, there are so many great properties that we haven't seen anything from as far as Rare goes. I still would love to see a sequel to Conker's Bad Fur Day. It's not going to happen probably, but, you know, one can wish. Uh, and, and still, I still think that Banjo-Kazooie 3, if they were to make that, that would cause a ton of buzz. So it's really a shame that, you know, that didn't happen, and it really makes you think what could have been had Rare stayed with Nintendo. And I think Rare would be almost synonymous with Nintendo. You bring up Nintendo, and some of the first games you think of are ones that Rare made. So to me, it would have been the perfect marriage, and, and it's really a shame that it didn't happen. But on that note, that does it for the news Let's get into this month in video game history. On August 26, 1989, Nintendo releases the Zelda Game & Watch. Uh, Never actually played this game. Never played any of the Game & Watch games. I was reading a little bit about it before I hit the record button. Apparently, it's a multi-screen Game & Watch system uh, developed and released in North America by Nintendo in 1989. Its gameplay was heavily inspired by Zelda Two Adventures of Link. Uh, which is already not a good sign. Uh, It was made by Nintendo, uh, unlike the other LCD games. Uh, Let's see. The plot, eight unruly dragons are creating havoc in the world after they kidnap Princess Zelda. It's up to Link to defeat them and rescue the princess. They've imprisoned her behind a seal that requires all eight pieces of the Triforce to unlock, and after defeating each dragon, Link gains one piece of the Triforce. I actually would not mind giving this game a try if I could find it somewhere online to play. There have been a few Zelda games that, that I have not played. I have not played the CDI games, which I don't intend to because I've watched videos, and I think that's good enough for that. I um, haven't played most of the 3DS or DS games, You know, like Phantom Hour- Hourglass, uh, Spirit Tracks... Would love to play those eventually, but, you know, all the Zelda console games are great. And, you know, if if it's a Zelda game, I will eventually give it a try. So this might be something that I look into to see if I could find it online. Uh, On August 23rd, 1991, Nintendo releases Super Mario World and F-Zero along with the Super Nintendo Entertainment System in North America. We talked about this uh, earlier this month that uh, the SNES came out in August. The actual pack-in game was Super Mario World, and F-Zero was one of the other launch titles. You know, I remember my birthday being a few days before the Super Nintendo came out, so I I had to wait a little bit to get this, but I remember playing Super Mario World for the first time. I remember exactly where I was, and that that took gaming to a whole new level. And as I've mentioned before, You know, Mario World is probably my top two favorite Super Mario games of all time. And the Super Nintendo just had so many great games. I still wish I had my original along with my original library. But, you know, needed money when I got a little bit older and wasn't really thinking of the whole sentimental value thing at the time. I had at least 20 plus games for the Super Nintendo. I didn't even have that many for the GameCube. Or Nintendo 64. Nintendo 64, I think I had 10, maybe 15 at one time. And then GameCube, yeah, I felt like the good releases were so few and far between. Uh, but I do actually still have my original GameCube. I left that um, when I got a bit older and you know started working and kind of got out of video games a bit. I actually remember leaving my GameCube at my grandparents' house so that my younger cousins could play it uh, after lunch on Sundays. And then when, um, a couple of years ago, when my grandparents passed away, you know, went back and found the GameCube along with a bunch of the original games that I had for it. Um, you know, was the GameCube the greatest system in the world? No. But it does spark some, some pretty good memories. But moving on to August 27th of 1994, Nintendo releases Mother 2 for the Super Famicom in Japan, which was released almost a year later in North America on the SNES as Earthbound and also introduced the character of Ness. One of my favorite RPGs of all time. One of my favorite Super Nintendo games of all time. And, you know, we'll, we'll do this on a future episode, but both Jason and I have compiled our list of our top 10 favorite retro games of all time. And this game is in the top five. You know, I fell in love with this game from the, you know, the cover with Starman on it, and had the bright red and the yellow, and you could see the reflection of Ness and Starman's visor, and it came with the strategy guide that had the, the snatch uh, scratch and sniff stickers with the different characters, and it having that really uh, weird and wacky type of feel to it, and I, I always felt like this game was almost made as a satire of Western culture, or at least how it was viewed, you know, in the Eastern part of the world. Uh, it's got its definite quirks and really weird and random villains, but I absolutely love it. It's, it's you know, like I said, top five retro game for me. Um, I can't get enough of it. Anybody who hasn't played it, uh, definitely check it out. It's on the SNES Classic. You can find, you know... I'm not saying that you should do it, but you can find a ROM for it because a physical copy is very, very expensive. We're talking $200 plus expensive, which is crazy to think about. I can't imagine what a inbox mint condition copy of Earthbound goes for. But to close out this month in video game history, on August 25th, 1997, Goldeneye is released for the Nintendo 64, one of the best N64 games of all time, uh, also made by Rare, as I mentioned earlier. But the cool thing about Goldeneye, and I, I did recently review this a couple of months ago, the cool thing about Goldeneye, and I think why it stood the test of time, uh, maybe not graphics-wise, but as far as just pure fun goes, is not just the story, though the story was cool because it actually adapted the movie But the multiplayer was so much fun. You know, growing up in that era, having friends over, you know, because this was kind of the precursor to the LAN parties, you know, when Halo came out for the Xbox when it launched. And, you know, we used to, on Friday and Saturday nights, we'd go over to a friend's house, bring the Xbox, bring a copy of Halo, and just hook all the consoles together and just crush some Doritos and Mountain Dew Code Red until the sun came up. But GoldenEye, you know, was similar. You know, that was a game that everybody had to have. Everybody loved playing the multiplayer. Uh, I remember specifically in Nintendo Power, it would have the top 10 best-selling Nintendo games. And when this game came out, it was number one for a long, long time. I want to say it was two-plus years that it was number one on that list. I can't remember what might have finally taken it you know, from its number one spot, it may have been Conker's Bad Fur Day, but that was at the very end of the 64. So I, I really don't know. But either way, GoldenEye, one of the best N64 games of all time. Check it out. You can find a copy for a relatively good price online, or if you have a local retro gaming store. I actually went by uh, one earlier today and saw a copy of it for, I think, 20, 25 bucks. And it was in really good condition. Um, it wasn't in box, but the actual cartridge was wrapped and in good condition, so um, definitely check it out. One of the best N64 games of all time. So before we get to our review for this week, I do want to give a shout out to our patrons who are over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash NerdCaveRetro, Daniel Salmon and Randy Bailey. Thank you guys so much for contributing to the Nerd Cave Retro Patreon. If you guys want to contribute, like I said, just go to nerdcave, not nerdcave retro, but patreon.com slash nerdcave retro. Um, we have different tiers uh, for different perks depending on how much you donate. But the important thing is if we can maintain our stretch goal of $50 a month, then we will do an exclusive bonus episode for you guys. And you can check out our first one. This honestly, one of my top two or top three favorite episodes of this podcast and that was myself jason and mr wally phelps doing an audio commentary for super mario brothers the movie
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: That movie is so bad. You know, it, it, there are some movies that are so bad they have not redeeming qualities, but almost a fun factor to them. But this has none of those. It is just such a bad movie. And I think because that movie is so bad, it made the commentary so much fun. It was one of my favorite podcasting memories that I've ever had. So if you want to hear us do you know more audio commentaries or reviews, whether it be uh, gaming movies um, or even you know old TV shows, something retro-related, if you want us to review it, uh, just go over to patreon.com slash and check that out but thank you once again Daniel and Randy for contributing we appreciate it very very much so on that note let's get into our review for this week Uh, That soothing music can only mean one thing. This week, I'm going to be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, that awesome blue hedgehog that has some of the most fun retro games of all time. I'm going to be talking about the original Sonic the Hedgehog. I've reviewed Sonic 2 and 3, uh, now going back to the first one. So, Sonic the Hedgehog, where to start? Because Sonic, to me, is so much more than Just a game, and I'm not just going to be talking about the original game, but just the impact on Sonic in pop culture in general because Sonic came along to me at the perfect time. It was uh, early 1991, Uh, it came out in June of '91, actually. Um, It's a platform game developed by Sonic Team and published by Sega for the Sega Genesis console. The game features an anthropomorphic hedgehog named Sonic in a quest to defeat Dr. Robotnik, a scientist who has imprisoned animals and robots and stolen the magical chaos emeralds. Sonic the Hedgehog's gameplay involves collecting rings as a form of health and a simple control scheme while jumping and attacking controlled by a single button. And I think that's one of the appeals about these classic Sonic games. Is Yeah, in the sequels they added a few more layers with adding, you know, they added a shield in Sonic 2 in Sonic 3, they added different types of shields that give you different abilities. But really, it comes down to it. The reason why I think these old games, the old Sonic games, are so successful is their simplicity. Sonic is a platformer, but it's a different type of platformer than Mario. With Mario, you're much more methodical. You're trying to get a power up, you know, to make getting through the world a little bit easier. But with Sonic, you're just running to complete the level as fast as you can. And I don't know quite why it hasn't translated as well to 3D. You know, when Sonic Adventure came out and really introduced the world to a 3D Sonic... uh, Now, I actually like the Sonic Adventure games, but it also added to me a bit too much of an objective to it. And I think that's why, you know, when Sonic Mania came out, Uh, a couple of years ago. That's why I love that game so much. That's a game I actually plan on reviewing uh, sooner rather than later. It kind of took it back to what made Sonic great, and that's just running through the various worlds, collecting rings, occasionally stopping to try to get a Chaos Emerald, and that's really about it. And you fight a boss at the end of each level. As I said, Sonic came along at the perfect time, you know, The SNES uh, was about to come out. Uh, Mario was at that time even still regarded as the icon, the it character of Nintendo. Everybody knew who Mario was. And Sega, who was trying to compete with Nintendo at that time, they didn't have a mascot. So they went through a few different iterations. I think Sonic was a rabbit at one time, but they eventually settled on Sonic the Hedgehog. It says here in 1990, Sega ordered its in-house development studio to develop a game featuring a mascot for the company. This was a position already held by the character Alex Kidd, but he was considered too similar to Mario and deemed unsatisfactory. Sega president wanted a character as iconic as Mickey Mouse. Sega had enough comp- Sega had competition with Nintendo who was dominant at the time and Sega wanted a foothold in the gaming industry. So, basically, they went through various iterations. Uh, One actually did become another Sonic character, Mighty the Armadillo. But eventually, they went to Sonic. And if you look at it, you know, Sonic really does stand out. He's a bright blue with bright red shoes. You look at him, and just his bright colors and everything makes him instantly pop. And he's noticeable. Now, I remember... I didn't get into the Genesis until probably closer to the mid 90s. I, I knew of Sonic, but I was such a Nintendo fanboy at the time that I didn't want anything to do with any other console. But I eventually remember playing a Sega Genesis demo in Walmart, and they had, I think it was Sonic the Hedgehog 3 at the time. It might have been 2, but I want to say it was 3. And. You know, I fell in love with it because it was so different than Mario. So eventually I did get a Genesis, got Sonic 1, 2, 3, Sonic and Knuckles. I, I dabbled a little bit into some other Sega games, but I didn't quite, you know, get into them like the Sonic series. And, you know, I'll be honest, there was a time where I was much more into Sonic than I was Mario, because I remember I was in a grocery store with my mom one day and I saw a copy of the Sonic the Hedgehog comic book. It was issue number two, and I kept collecting it until issue I think one seventy six, one seventy seven, close to two hundred, and then I eventually just you know kind of fell out of it. Uh, but that that's kind of the impact that you know Sonic had on pop culture because I don't remember Mario ever having his own comic series. They both had their own cartoons, but. The the Sonic cartoon it's affectionately known as Sat A M in fan circles. It was it aired on Saturday mornings, um, and it had a pretty dark and pretty serious tone to it. You know, it was almost post apocalyptic in a way because Doctor Robotnik had taken over, and Sonic and other groups of freedom fighters were trying to overthrow him. But it was a really well written show. The characters were great, and unfortunately, it ended on a cliffhanger and was canceled because of a little-known show that was also airing at that time called The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So it was really unfortunate, but what's cool is when the show eventually came out on DVD, they had an interview with one of the writers from the show, and he actually explained what was going to happen in Season 3, which would have introduced Knuckles, would have featured Tails as more of a prominent character, you know, so it was a shame that didn't happen. Um, but Sonic has always had, you know, a pretty big impact, especially in the '90s. You know, it, it, he's kind of fallen off a little bit because the 3D games aren't as good. But I'm also curious to see what happens when this movie comes out. I don't expect it to be that great, but I think it will at least create a little bit of buzz for Sonic. But um, kind of going back to the original game, it's a it's a good game. It's regarded, it was well received by critics, and it was later considered one of the greatest video games of all time, with praise given to its visuals, audio, and gameplay. I do agree with that. I think it was a great foundation for what the Sonic games were to become in its sequels, but I actually think Sonic 2 and 3 are better than Sonic 1. That being said, it's still a great game. You know, it, it has such iconic visuals and music. You know, with the Green Hill theme that you heard earlier, um, it, it's it's a fun game. It, it really is. And I, I will say, um, this is actually the only two D Sonic game that I have not beat. I never went back and beat the original game. I've beat, you know, two not too long ago. Beat three um, when it was still you know considered new. Same thing with Sonic and Knuckles, and Sonic Three and Knuckles took quite a while to beat, but um, did eventually do that. Uh, but never beat Sonic One, but it's it's still a very very good game, and something that I've been saying, uh, I said this when I reviewed Two and Three, is that you know those games are great, but they would not have been great without the first one. You know, it did a great job of laying the foundation for what the Sonic series was to become. You know, from the the catchy music, and that's something that's great about Sonic. And I will actually give this to Sonic over Mario. The music in all the games are so good. I actually caught myself listening to the Sonic Mania soundtrack the other day. Uh, it's just so catchy. All the songs fit their environments And there's really not one that I can say is that bad. You know, it's it's sometimes things just work and with the music, it definitely works. So, you know, I I will say that this may not be much of a review for uh, the original Sonic game, because much like Jason and I did with The Legend of Zelda, it was more of a reflection of the series as a whole. And I I just kind of wanted to give my thoughts on, you know, this game, because it, it, It was important, not just with the Sonic franchise, but with gaming in general, because the whole Nintendo-Sega rivalry in the 90s defined gaming and brought it to a new level, brought it to a new generation, and is still, to me, the greatest era of video games. And I know some might argue that the greatest era of gaming is now, or it might have been 10 years ago, but to me, the big story of video gaming... Will always be the early to mid 90s with Nintendo versus Sega because Sonic was really the only thing that rivaled Mario at that time because Nintendo was so untouchable because of the NES. And then when the SNES came out, that brought things to a whole different level. But with Sonic, you know, it offered that alternative to those who maybe weren't as big a fans of Mario or Zelda or any of the other franchises. The, the only thing that, to me, was Sega's undoing is that it didn't really have any depth outside of Sonic. Because with Nintendo, you didn't just have Mario, you had Zelda, Metroid, uh, Star Fox, F-Zero, so many other great franchises to complement their systems. But with Sega... The only thing you think of is Sonic. And they did a few spin-off games. You know, they did Knuckles Chaotix, um, they did a Dr. Robotnik game that I think was similar to Tetris. But you know, it just didn't it didn't work in the long term. Um, even now, you know, Mario made a great transition to 3D with Mario 64, and Sonic didn't. You know, I like I said, I still like Sonic Adventures one and two but they don't they don't hold a candle to the traditional 2D side scrolling games where all you have to do is just run through each world as fast as you can listening to catchy music and you occasionally stop to get a chaos emerald. So, you know, I I do wish that Sonic would make more of a comeback. I don't know how that's going to happen. I haven't played the last couple of 3D games just because they haven't really interested me. I think if Sonic is going to stay in the limelight, I think it needs to stay in the 2D side-scrolling genre. I mean, you can do one... I think they did Sonic 4 uh, as a digital download that had newer-looking graphics. I think that's what you do next, is you maybe make Sonic the Hedgehog 5, or even like a brand-new game that has, you know, that similar type of look where maybe it still looks more modern and sleek but plays as, as 2D. You know, I I just think that's the best way to go. That's what's in Sonic's wheelhouse and that's what needs to stay for Sonic. So hopefully you guys... Um, I, well, real quick, um, if I were to give this game um, a number score, I would give it probably a solid... I'd give it a solid 8 out of 10. You know, I I like the other games better, but this game provided a great foundation for what was to become, you know, one of the greatest franchises during the 90s, Sonic the Hedgehog. So I know this wasn't really much of a review for the um, actual game itself, but I wanted to do more of a reflection of just the entire franchise. And it's one that I've loved since I was a kid, And I would love to see, make a comeback and do more consistently good games and things like that. So um, I believe that's going to do it for this week's show. Um, I did want to read one piece of listener email real quick. Uh, This comes to us from Josh Marshall, who um, actually uh, went to the same high school as me. I went to high school with his brother um, and actually filmed his wedding a few years ago. Jason and Derek, love the show, guys. Wanted to take a sec and tell you guys about another podcast that I think you guys would both enjoy. It's by Wondery and called Business Wars. There's an episode four to five shows that looks at Nintendo versus PlayStation. It takes a look way back to the beginning of both companies and the battle they had throughout the years. Hope you both check it out. Well, first of all, thank you for listening to the show. Um, I'll definitely have to check that out because... You know, I mentioned Nintendo versus Sega, but when Sony came along with the PlayStation, that changed things too. So I'll definitely have to make a note and check that out uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. So once again, hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed this episode. I know it's a bit of a shorter one because I'm here by myself, but next week I will have my good friend, Mr. Robbie Rawls, uh, making his podcasting return, and we are going to be reviewing Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. For the Game Boy. So, all you Pokemon fanatics, definitely check it out. I know Robbie's a huge Pokemon fan. Uh, Side story a few years ago, um, actually, it might have been two years ago, um, he actually met this girl playing Pokemon Go, and they are now husband and wife. So, it's a really cool story. Um, But Robbie's going to be on next week to talk Pokemon. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoy it. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NerdCaveRetro. You can follow Jason at JFunktastic and myself at Derek underscore Diamond. You can email us at NerdCaveRetro at gmail.com. Visit our website, NerdCaveRetro.com. And check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro. And in closing, may the way of the hero lead to the Triforce.